The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Many fascinating halakhic issues have uh, coming up um, with everything that's going on. Two weeks ago we discussed the issue of uh, can you shoot to kill, um, which has still been in the news a lot. Um, what, you know, how many shots can you... If you're able to neutralize a terrorist just by, uh, without killing them, are you obligated to do that? Okay, that was the question we dealt with two weeks ago, but today I'd like to discuss another issue that has, uh, that has come up, um, which is a fascinating question, relevant especially to, to doctors, um, but it could be a question in general um, for first responders for many, for many different situations. So it says like this. It says... Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you. It says Shaul gave his daughter Michal, David's intended wife, to Palti, son of Laish of Galim. It's not the name. Right, but it's interesting that that was the intended, so... Okay, mm -hmm. He wanted her, but... Okay, so that's why... Okay. That's Maybe why that's, that was his revenge. That was revenge. Mm -hmm. Ex so that's uh, probably there's another story. <laughs> yeah. See? There you go. Uh-huh. Okay, okay so, so the question is like this. The question that, the two questions that were posed to the rabbi, this is in 1992. Um, two separate questions by two different doctors. Um, the question is, when you have a situation um, where you have a terrorist who is, is attacking, so you already, let's say, stabbed someone. Okay, yep. now... Um, he's continuing on his way. He's running down the street with his knife. Okay, and I'm a physician, or I'm a first responder. The question is, so this guy's lying bleeding on the floor, and you have the terrorists running down the block. What is my priority? Do I go and try to catch the terrorist to neutralize him? Or, or try to... Save the person. Or save the person's life. For the physician? Yeah. That's, That's the question. Tough. You have a physician... Your first responder comes upon the scene. There's one guy, which in all the videos you see, that's what happens. There's one guy laying on the floor, and you have the terrorist still running loose. So what is, is his obligation to the patient or to try to stop the terrorist? That's the question on the table today. I, I now think we're going to bring a proof from that story. Yeah. For, for a physician, you should take care of the patient. If it was a soldier, you should stop the terrorist. Well, so I'm not sure the question is just physician. The, the question is, you have a situation where you, uh, what happened? Hey, buddy. In? No, we got the emergency graphics problem. Believe it or not. Don't ask. Okay, so, uh, so the... See what it's saying right there? They were... Some issues, there were some issues. Um, they always wanted to kill my ex's sons. Oi! <laughs> Saying like, well, you have to give David some. Uh, anyway, okay, so the, 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 again, the question on the table is this question. You have a physician comes, it's a terrorist attack. Physician is on the scene, first responder, comes to the scene. Patient's laying on the floor, bleeding out. The, the terrorist is running down the block, holding a knife. Do I... Does the physician treat the patient or run after the terrorist? What the, does the Try physician have the a pistol? Let's assume that it, it has a, a potential to stop the, the terrorist. The okay. So mm -hmm. what does he do? What do you say? Save the patient. Save the patient. Even though at the risk of allowing the terrorist to then attack other right. people. Create more patients. I mean, uh... Uh, it depends how bad I guess the person's hurt that's laying down. Oh, obviously we're talking about where, where if he doesn't treat him, he can lose, he's going to die. But what can if the he guy, does treat him, otherwise actually it wouldn't do? be a question. What can the you know, guy meaning in a situation where the patient is just as, you know, is stable, you know, is, is not is more or less stable, I don't think there's a question. Of course you have to go after the terrorist. The question is where, if by going after the terrorist, I'm going to lose this patient. Um, so what do I do? Got any, uh, if it's a first responder... That's a big question. If it's a physician, <coughs> he probably has to save, or they have to save the patient. And the, fool, the first responder is coming to the scene not for security. He's coming to, to that's he's his job. To save is, the patient. Save yeah, the patient. but a first responder doesn't have a, have a, the oath that you have to save patients. Whereas okay. a doctor... So you're saying because of the oath, 
But this he is not a patient. Him. You're not a. You don't have a doctor patient yeah, relationship. You got an this person. is just like and you're a random person. Well, you're protected you're, to that. Well, you're protected uh, from being sued. Of course, but practical question. It's not that tough. Day. You have to treat the person there because yeah. you don't know anything about the terrorist. That terrorist may be gone, like never to hurt anyone again. It's Suffolk. You don't know. Uh, I mean, there's a <laughs> strong... That's true. I get it. True. You don't know for sure. Or somebody else can see him running with a knife and... Yeah, you scream at someone up to help tell them and then you help the person right there. Okay. So let's see. Let's see the question. I agree. So this is 1992. Again, this, is, this wasn't. This question wasn't presented in the current situation. I don't know what was going on in 1992. I think it was during the bus bombing. That was the, the wave of bombings. Israel always has a something to address. So this was 1992. So two letters that were sent to Rabbi Zilberstein um, that I found. Okay. So letter number one. So, um, 1992. Good How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Nice sure. to see you. Okay, so 1992. Question number one. Tamuz of 1992. My, my will is to present a question. Which uh, seems to be practical or applicable a lot. Bikvot mu'urot hadamim. Um, with the situation and the incidents that are happening, that the nation of Israel has found has been found in the in the last little while. The Hashem God should have mercy on us. Okay, so again, this is written in 1992, but obviously very practical and applicable to probably more applicable in a certain sense to today's situation. There was a situation with the terrorists. He was heading towards Jerusalem. On the way, he shot a Jew. There was a doctor standing there. The physician was standing there, had two possibilities. One possibility, number one choice, option number one was to bandage the wounded. That's, that's uh, spilling, that's blood is spurting out of, and save his life. He was shot. So he has to, you know, stop the bleeding. That's step number one. If he doesn't immediately um, treat the patient, he's surely going to die from his wounds. Option number two is to leave the wounded person there. To chase after the terrorist. Who was going to blow himself up in Makom Tziburi in a public place and to kill many, um, God forbid. But it's not clear that he would be able to to uh, neutralize it. Then in that situation, he would end up losing the patient, the wounded, the gamlon itself, the rabbi, and not even be able to stop the terrorist. So the question was, what do you do? What does this physician do? He stopped the So the physician was not sure which way, which path should he choose. Should he try to save this individual patient, where he can surely save him by treating him, by stopping the bleeding? One second, I'm in the middle of the statement. Oshema, in the middle of the question, Oshema Maybe he should put an effort into trying to save the the uh, public, as opposed to meaning the, what's the, what's the, the many, word I'm looking for, the many, the many against the individual. This is a train, this is a train problem. Yeah. To leave the wounded, and chase after the terrorist. But he's not sure, will he be able to catch him? To, to, to summarize the question, the question is, is the saving of an individual, um, sure, the surely saving the life of an individual, more important or be or uh, better than saving mm -hmm. the the majority. Yes, that's the question. Doctor Mem Aleph Brooks, Menal Machlaket, geriatrist. He was the head of the geriatric unit in uh, this hospital, Manei Hayishua and Bnei Brak. Yes. If he goes, this is another question on it. If he goes this is not to a, a this is real. terrorist, would he be considered indirectly an accomplice to the murder 
murder? Because he didn't save him. Uh, I forbid. And Judaism, you never accomplished a murder. You have an obligation to save a life. Uh, uh, right, but you're not considered. You never consider an accomplice to murder by even not saving. Even if you ignore it. Yes. Yeah, you're not accomplice to murder. You're. You oh, well, have an obligation, uh, a, a positive commandment, will, to save his life. But you're he not will have to know that he walked away from somebody yes. who was. Understand, but it was to save to many, uh, to save many lives. Possibility of saving many lives. What do you say? You know, it's too early well, in the morning. Drink some coffee. Drink. Uh, another, uh, take another. Uh, yes. Take another. Uh, I, I, well, you know, it it seems interesting that in the hypothetical. They include. It's not a hypothetical. It's real. Oh, it was a real. I mean, this. Yeah, yeah it, this it was is a real. Event. Unfortunately, in so Israel, in that, this is real. So, in that happened. particular real event, there was a, there there was a, a, a question of whether his ability to save many was in fact certain. It was certain that he could save one. It was not certain uh, that he could yeah. save many. I guess another question would be, if it's certain that you can save one and certain that you can save many, do you? Yes, and of course you go with the many. Uh, that's, it seems it's implied in the question, at least, seeing the answer. But so if you can, if it would be sure that you can neutralize a terrorist, it would sound like then that's what you're supposed to do. It, Meaning, assuming that... It, it would uh, sound like that's yes, what you're yes. supposed to do. So that that is that is the basis on which we... I think well, we'll, we'll have to see. Why are you end. saying it's sounding that way? Where are the you, implication where are you is that? that he's saying that it's a suffix, meaning the way he frames the he question. It's, it's a it's a vada individual. It means it surely yeah. saves the individual's life, versus the suffix of a rabbi. Right. Um, that's the way he frames uh, it. The question it could be the rabbi will say there's no difference. Uh, right. Possible suffix means the doubt whether he can right. save the. The, the, the other piece of the element is. It happens to be a doctor. If it was not a doctor, he'd go after the terrorist. Because yeah. he can't be helpful. Here he has. That's true. No, but let's say, meaning halachically, it's irrelevant whether you're a doctor yeah. or not. No, meaning no, as long no, as you're no, able no, to no. save a life. No, no, right. 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 Well, but, but presumably, I mean, that it is a doctor. If somebody else says, I don't know what the hell we'll do with this guy. Right. The point no is, right, right. if it's so, somebody I mean, else, it would not be certain. That he, he can, can save, save his life. life. And the second thing, it's not—it's far from certain. No matter what you say, that uh, that if he chases down the terrorist, he could stop him. Not only that, there are other people who could chase down a terrorist. Right. That don't have to be doctors. He's kind of in a unique situation. He happens to be a doctor. Someone's dying in front of him. He might or might not be able to stop a terrorist. I mean, I don't—I don't think it's that complicated. Thank you. I didn't think so either. Okay, thank you. See you all. I'm sure the terrorist might really blow him up when he's there. Then there's, you know, he, right, he, it's an, it's so he dies, and the uh, guy who got shot dies. At a dies. personal level, uh, I think that the the individual in that position uh, faces a um, tormented choice. It is not clear, I think, that you can easily say. You know, I don't want to chase after that person and catch him. Um, I think our adrenaline under that circumstance would probably drive us to do it, to unless do you're a physician. To do what? Would probably drive us to chase well, actually, after. Actually, I mean, if you watched a lot of them, unfortunately, there's been a lot of uh, actual cases you can w literally watch these days. Or um, maybe... The videos, and, and you see, it's interesting how you see some people immediately run away, and the guy, you see a guy with a knife, even soldiers with guns, Right. See them running well, the run away, away. Um, because the normal human reaction well, is, is flight. I think that's that's or fight, flight, flight or right. fight. Right, depending on saying. So you know, if you, if you don't think you can fight him, it's probably better to run. If you're not sure you can fight him, I would hope a soldier with gun would just shoot him dead. Yes, yeah. some, but I'm saying, but the first reaction is yeah. you see right. when you see these videos is people running the other way. Yeah. Then they come, meaning they then they turn around. And Two things. One is. This is sort of Holocaust redux. Because you place it in an impossible situation where you're forced to choose between bad choices. Mm, I mean, that's what choice. it is, basically. It's you have bad people doing bad things, and now you have bad choices no matter which one you do. The second thing is, in terms of um, this issue you're saying, uh, your first reaction, you know, when we, you go to medical school, your first reaction we see a deformed baby or a sick person is to run away. Nobody wants to be around a sick. 
So you're a professional, you're trained to deal with your emotional reaction and respond to the situation. So I would hope that soldiers, they're constantly vigilant and ready to shoot somebody. I would hope that's where, yeah, but you're saying the practicalities are not. Israel, the, the, but a soldier, so, soldier, they're 18, they've been in the army for a month, they, they don't know how to use a gun. Yet. Well, I suppose. I'm saying that the soldiers on the street, we're not talking about, talking about a guy in the bus stop going back after Shabbos to his base. He's been in basic training for, for six weeks now. In Israel, well, a soldier, I, I a soldier in Israel, I would think he's ready to shoot think, somebody all right, the time. Right, I think the point that you're making is that if if he's not, if the soldier doesn't do that, then the training isn't good. Of course. If a physician doesn't respond, not by his maybe uh, gut level response, by recoiling from something that looks Disgusting, like yeah. a mess, his training hasn't been adequate. A more interesting yeah, again, case would be the, the, if the, 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 the person is a physician soldier now with a gun. Well, so he happens to be a soldier and, and a doctor. Yeah. Well, <laughs> then what yeah. does he do? Yeah. Every civilian is a soldier. I mean, if you can, I mean, every civilian. No, but I suppose this guy's actually soldier. in the military yeah, and a doctor, and he's but got a gun. The, the, the key point we're missing here, which we should have uh, known after all these years of learning, is it's really an issue of judging lives. That, that, the, what it boils down to is not whether what the response should be. The, natural. the issue becomes, I'm choosing one life over the other. That's really the question. Do I choose the individual to kill me, not to kill, but to let the individual die to save the many? That's really what well, it boils down to. The, the, the ethical dilemma from the halachic perspective, that's really the question. It's not a question of what my obligation as a doctor. I mean, because again, halachically, we don't view it. Everyone has the same obligations. Everyone's equal in the eyes of the law and halacha. That means if you can heal someone, the fact that you happen to go to seven years of medical school or not is irrelevant. If you are able to treat someone with a gunshot, you can stop the bleeding. You have the same obligation as someone who went to seven years of medical school and your surgery. That doesn't change. You know, the fact <coughs> it's only dependent on what your knowledge is. Are you able to stop this guy from bleeding or not? Same thing. If I'm able to neutralize a terrorist, it's irrelevant whether I'm a soldier or not. Am I, what am I able to do as a human being and that's what obligates me, because I have an obligation to save lives, whether I'm a doctor or not a doctor. Well, now the question here is, there's two lives to be saved, or this life versus that life. So now I have to judge which life takes precedent. Does the many take precedent over the individual or not? That's really the but question. Can I choose you, whose life is more important or less important? You present yes, one is a certainty and one is a possibility. Right. Yes, right. You right. said under the circumstance, under the condition where there is a certainty that you can save many lives versus one. That's the what's implied, yes, in the question. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know the answer. The obligation probably would go with the many. That's my guess. Probably Same. my guess. So let's go with first. If we can't resolve that question, then this question is secondary. I don't know that it's moot, but it's secondary. First, we need to know, do we have a halachic moral obligation if we are certain that we can save many lives versus one? Good question. So that's the second case. Actually, we might die in the process. Well, that's a different issue, right? Because you risk well, his life. You that's know, a separate issue, but a very important very issue. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 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 <laughs> I mean, but let's see. Case number one addresses your. Uh, this is case number two now. Addresses, I think, maybe just to frame it in a different perspective. Forced to choose. Not a terrorist. This is this is something that's relevant for, for also first responders here. Listen to this question. This is also 1992. In one of the hospitals, they got a call, um, dispatched got a call for the ambulance that there's a child uh, wounded in the road, in a serious serious condition, wounded seriously, meaning he was hit by, it sounds like he was hit by a car, I believe, he's, he's one kilometer away from the hospital, this, this child <coughs> is in the street, <coughs> in the street, wounded. Hit by a car. Miyad ambulance in Immediately, ambulance was dispatched with a doctor to treat him. In the middle of the call, they got another call. to rescue five wounded. That their car turned over. Another case, another car accident where the car turned over. So they're on the way to call number one. A child is. Um, in serious condition in the street, laying in the street. 
on the call, on the way to the, this child, who's a kilometer away, they got a call that there's a, a car flipped over with five people in the car. This also sounds like real life in Israel. They're five kilometers away. Okay. One kilometer kid, five to the five. Five to the five. So the doctor was unsure. Should they now continue going to the child? That's close by. That they surely can get there in time to save his life. Or should they? Should the ambulance go to the five, um, five uh, wounded? in the car, in the overturned car. And the condition of those wounded is not specified, but the condition yeah, of the one was specified, right? right? So we don't know if they well, The car turned over, yeah, it doesn't specify here. Let's see, maybe we'll continue. So the question continues, Vihina Lechora had salat Adifa. He says, would assume, I would assume the doctor's addressing the rabbi in the letter, I would assume saving many overrides saving the individual. And it's obvious to me that you would have to go to to rescue the five. Ach da'aka, that's some type of Aramaic expression, I'm not sure what it means. Lo barur, but, he says, based on the circumstances, lo barur sheyatzilotam. It's not clear that we can save the five. Ki yecholiot sheikev hamerchak shebinem, because of the distance between, further distance, till we get there, five kilometers in Israel is, uh, is a lot, it's traffic. Until the ambulance reaches them, it's possible that they already will, will have died. Therefore, the suffix is which is, which is, takes priority. To save this patient, surely save this patient who's close by. Or to try to save the five, but it's a doubtful situation that we can save them. Okay. So this is a force to choose without a terrorist. Correct. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. The individual that you're certainly able to save, confident, sure, able to save. The fact remains that the person making those decisions will experience um, distress. It's, I mean, I've never had a circumstance where I had a, uh, a Sophie's choice. No. Well, it happens in the hospital all the time. You're in the middle of a resuscitating someone, you get another call. I mean, <laughs> this happens all the time. Yeah. Some, there's somebody bleeding in this bed, two wards down, there's somebody else bleeding. You're on call, it's the middle of the night, <laughs> what do you do? Right, right. So, I, so that's, one, that's one against one. So that's different in that sense, meaning then, obviously once you start treating one patient, at least according oh, to... All right, so you're in the hallway, they get two calls, you know. <laughs> one's uh, a half a mile away, one's uh, Next uh, you know, to a you. quarter mile away. Right. You know, with, right. And you, so, you oh, again, so that's really, you're not... That, that you're not choose. That's one against one. It's so one against one. There's there's rules of prayer of triage. Who's in a worse condition, etc. Here, <coughs> or the issue the is five against one. That's a bus full of hemophilic nuns just arrived in the <laughs> ER in an accident. I mean, you know, these kind yeah, of scenarios yeah, do yeah, come yeah, up. Of course. So, so but this is like we're saying in Israel. Unfortunately, this is very practical. <laughs> this, these days, um, this is happening unfortunately daily in Israel, as we see. So, so it's a very apropos question to deal with. So let's see um, how the rabbi answered. So he says, um, here you see, there's a, be a perfect example of rabbi pulling something out of his hat. Totally. We need that. We need a Deus ex machina here. We need something to rescue us from this conundrum. Okay, so he says like this. He says, "Hashelot chamulot." These are very serious questions. Says the rabbi. The kiyamti et He says, "This is a fulfillment of that what it states in the Torah." There's a famous verse in the Torah, in uh, Deuteronomy, it says, when you have a question of judgment, between blood and blood. It's really referring to judges, obviously, mm -hmm. in the court case, but he's applying it here. He says, so what do you have to do? You need to get up, stand up, to the judge who is in those days, and the Torah specifically says, because the assumption is, you know, many times the leaders of the subsequent generations are not as good as we see today. <coughs> 
within Judaism and within the rest of the world are not as good as previous leaders. But still, he says, even whoever the leader of that day is, you have to go to the judge of that day. Vidarash, even if you don't like the people, the members of the Supreme Court, it's tough luck. Um, you still, got, you got to, they're the deciding factor. That's Vidarash relevant today. What? That's, That's relevant that, today that, in the United States. Torah says sure. explicitly, I mean, he's referring to Jewish law, of course, but it right. says, even if you, he, he says specifically to, to the judges of your day. So uh, the Gemara says, the Talmud and Rashi quotes it, why, why does it have to, obviously, you're going to the judge of your day. You're not going back not going to uh, you know, the first Supreme Court justice, right? So it says because it's understood that every society can play, <laughs> we wish we would have the previous uh, leaders of the last generation. Military says, much you, better. military says you go to war with the army you've got. Exactly. Not the one you want. So, so, it's, so the Torah says explicitly, go to the, ju- the judge of that day, vidarashta, and you shall present your case, mishpat, and he will decide the judgment between blood and blood. Okay, so says the rabbi, it's, so therefore, I can't answer the question. Therefore, I brought this question to my father-in-law. His father-in-law was a big leader in his day, in Rebel Yashiv. Um, did, we, did we go to see him? So with you, I went. I took someone else. From Houston to see this Rebel Yashiv. Anyway, someone looked like Shelley, right? <laughs> <laughs> so he says, I took the, fa- the question to my father-in-law. And this is what he answered. And basically, um, I think what Muriel said, what we all said, is, is what Rav Yashav answered. He said like this, he says, He says, you must choose the first choice, meaning patient, both scenarios, patient number one, the, the individual patient, patient number one. And to bandage the wound. He says, because a surely, a sure rescue, a, a rescue that for sure you'll save a life, um, by chasing after the terrorists, yes, there are many doubts involved. First of all, will you even save the community, the the uh, majority? What was the word we used before? The the many over uh, from danger. First of all, he says, you might not be able to even find him at this point. So basically, the guy was driving by, was driving by shooting, shot one guy, and now he's continuing on to Jerusalem. I'm going to jump in my car and try chasing him. You might not even catch him. And if you do find him, who said you'll be able to overpower him? Number three, like we said, maybe the terrorist will be caught by someone else. Not your problem. There's other people out there who can catch the terrorists. And therefore, your chasing him will be, uh, will be not necessary. Futile. Exactly. He says, and even if the terrorist reaches his destination, his public place where he wants to blow himself up, and he will blow himself up, maybe there'll be a malfunction in the bomb, and other people won't get killed. We've had many cases where terrorists blew themselves up, but it was a dud. You know, they got, they blew their head off, but they didn't. other people were fine. Okay, so he says, so there are many factors where saving the many are in doubt. And he says, therefore, you have to always, you go with what's certain. Saving this individual is certain. Okay, um, saving the many in this particular That's why the train is dilemma doubt. is intractable, because they are you know, switch is going to kill one or five or whatever the switch. Right. So there's no doubt. No doubt. Here right. there's doubt. That's right. what exactly. So, so it seems like so that's why we're addressing Muriel's original question, which was, in a case where there's certainly you can save the many, it seems like, even according to Yasha, that would decide. Meaning many does override the individual if they're both certain. Okay? All things equal, and there's no outside factors which are putting the rescue in doubt, and you can surely <coughs> save this, you have them both in front of you, you can surely save the one or the five. Of course you go with the five. Seems like that. Wait, is that, that, that true? That's implied, but it's not stating that. Yes, that's implied. In the train example, if you're passive, there's a difference between active and passive. Right, that's because over there, right, we said because you're, you're, if you switch the train, I'm murdering, that's an act of murder. That's my question. Right, so that's, that's different. You know, it's, uh, Muriel, that's familiar that's with you here when we discussed that famous case, the uh, famous train dilemma, train coming down the tracks, and there's one person at the end of this track where it's, it's headed to five people, and there's one, uh, and I could switch the train, switch the track, you know, it's whatever. So kill just one person. Kill just one person. That's a, that's a different dilemma, and because over there you're doing an action which will kill someone. Okay, that's different. That's different. Or you're not doing an action. 
Like, yeah, so, so passive in halacha, passive, passive active. versus active. So to make the switch where I'm going to send this train into the one person, then I'm the cause of his death. So that, I believe we said, I don't remember, but I believe we said we can't That's do that. That's problem. Well, I um, thought the problem when we discussed it was inside, but we had no idea what the right thing was to do. I, I know the Chazanish discusses I don't remember what he said. Final. Great, Yosef. That's real helpful. <laughs> you guys, I'm counting on you guys. You can't do this stuff. It's too good for a false How we Jews find ways to torment ourselves? Well, you got to know what to do. Keep rabbis in business. You kidding? Well, but you know, keep can, psychiatrists in can I stop you and, and say something as far as you got to know what to do? The question is, it, it is also, you're saying, you know, these are dilemmas that occur frequently in Israel. <coughs> What what kind of discussion or education or forums are there that address these kinds of issues? What do you do when you think, you know, the your comment that the videos show people who suspect terrorists run the opposite direction, I think is probably not totally accurate. I think that a lot of people run... Yeah, there's, no, listen, there's no question, every out of 56 <coughs> terrorists kind of, in the last but, month, you know, 22 of them were killed. So that clearly people are killing. Yeah, what kind of discussions do they have about, you know, how, how do we respond and the choices we make and the consequences we experience? You know, the man who, um, the doctor, could have been a woman, sure. uh, who saved the one bleeding in this in the road as they watched the terrorists run away imagine for a moment their feeling hearing later on that was the terrorist that they could have stopped and he killed 20 people the 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 difficulty that that individual would have to live with that experience and replay replay and wonder you know could i have Right. I think one else. of the aspects, as being a, a religious Jew, the, since the halacha maps, if maps out what you should do, you got to get some coffee. You know. <laughs> I give, you, I give you mine, but I'd be doing the same thing if I didn't. Uh, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be sleeping. The problem is it's on, it's on the tape recorder when I put okay. this on You know, the yes, website. once you've okay. made yes, the decision, if it's halachically consistent. No, it's right. The point is, what I, my point I was making is, uh, I'm not saying this is foolproof, obviously, but I think the fact that we have such a, uh, that we address such detail in ethical dilemmas, in halacha, um, helps someone emotionally meaning get through that because I did the right choice. I mean I asked the right meaning if assuming he did and he knew what the right choice was many times obviously in the heat of this, you're not gonna know the right choice. This is obviously you're asking the question after the most times after it happens. After well, now, but now we'll know for future. Right. But the point is once I know I got what's called a psak halacha, it's in a certain sense it alleviates my guilt that I'm doing and because I know Listen, I asked, what is the correct thing? I spoke to the ethics committee in the hospital. I know I'm doing the right thing. It's sort of, to, to quote um, uh, C. Everett Koop in the famous case we discussed many years ago with the Siamese twins, one of the first cases of separation of Siamese twins, actually an Orthodox family from Lakewood, New Jersey, one of the first separation ca um, cases in the United States. And they basically, the, the issue was they would have to kill one to save the other. After the, in the surgery, one would mm -hmm. have they would have to kill one twin, and the, it was a major. It was this took place in Philadelphia in, in Children's Hospital Chop, and C. Everett Coop was the chief of surgery at the time, before he was surgeon general. Attorney, uh, right. surgeon, I'm general, surgeon general. Uh, yeah. So anyway, so they asked him to press. All the Catholic nurses withdrew from the case. They said they can't be involved in the surgery. Once the surgery was, they asked their their priests and ministers. Um, the Jew the the Jew, the family was Jewish, and they went to Moshe Feinstein, and they actually had consults, not in person, but on the phone with C. Everett Koop. Moshe Feinstein consulted with C. Everett Koop, and at a press conference, which was quoted in the Philadelphia Inquirer, they asked C. Everett Koop, how, could, how do you know you're doing the right thing? You're going to kill this child. It was before the surgery, and the hospital was giving a press conference. How do you know? How, how can you live with your decision? You're going to choose in your life, one life over the life of the other. And uh, he said, you're right. He said, I can't make that decision. It's not a decision for me, for me to make. He said, but there's a little old man 
lives on the Lower East Side, and he said this is ethical. He said this is the right thing to do. And I trust whatever he said. This is CF Recoup sense. Okay, so, so listen, obviously you have to live with your decision, and it's tough no matter what. There's no question there's going to be <coughs> emotional and psychological ramifications to, to a decision whenever you make a life and death decision. But the point is if you have a, a code of ethics that you live by, and, this is, and you believe that this is truth, and this is coming from God, so to speak, so then it's, it makes life easier, rightfully, wrongfully so, any religion. And if I know what I, you know, I listen, I, I asked, what is the Torah's view on this? And I know I'm doing the right thing, that, that's ethical. So then that obviously will alleviate a lot of the emotional guilt, I believe. Two things, um, Josie. One, as you pointed out before, your average guy in the street in Israel, probably even your average doctor and average soldier, aren't aware of the halacha. That's true. So that's, yes. it's nice for us to sit here. But there is one group, I think, that will be aware and those are military doctors. Because in military doctors, this stuff comes up literally every day. Well, it has to be. It, every day. <coughs> Many times. I mean, for example, I'll give you a simple one that's an all-the-time kind of one. You're a doctor in Iraq, or, and one of your soldiers are wounded, and there's 20 wounded Iraqis. Who do you save? I mean, it's not a question. You go for your soldier. <laughs> Screw the Iraqis. I mean, they've already worked out this because it comes up all the time. Right. right. So, and, and it w now we don't deal with. The only reason I know this really is I hate to bring it up in our group in this Holocaust group. We have some military people, <laughs> and you know they're laughing because they say, "Yeah, you guys, you know, sweating all this little stuff. This is what we do all day long. I mean, this is so they have in the military medical ethics. They they confront these issues head on. Right. It'd be great to have one of them come here. Right. It would be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, but I think so. So just Especially agree with Shelley. Your average Israeli probably knows nothing about this. But since many of the hospitals in Israel actually are many of them are religious, uh, religious in the sense of they keep halacha. Most every almost every hospital will have a rabbi associated with it. They ask their questions, their ethical dilemmas, to, um, or a number of rabbis. So as Shari Tzedek, as Hadassah, all have a specific rabbi that he's the hospital decision-makers, so to speak, because here we have ethics committees, they have rabbis making those decisions because they're halakhic questions. So I believe, and I, again, I don't know this firsthand, but many times in these hospitals, they're going to, especially in situ with now, with the situation, they will have meetings where the rabbi comes and speaks to them because, again, this is so very practical. It's not well, just uh, hypotheticals, and most, unfortunately. Well, I'm thinking about post-traumatic uh, counseling, and part of that you're suggesting uh, can be the comfort that one would derive from knowing that your behavior is consistent with halakha. Uh, well, unless you went for principles. the five, in which case, not only do you have the trauma of having to make the choice, but you after have the fact you found that you made the wrong choice. <laughs> Don't well, ask in that case. You know, but the other question that I was wondering about was not nice uh, post-traumatic counseling, but um, uh, a priori uh, uh, education and you know I mean nobody I can't imagine setting up classes in school that talk about these kinds of issues well I think it is what they had I don't know how it works honestly but this is an example by the way this book is a seven volume book of classes basically it's called Shire Torah classes given to doctors. This guy had a, just as our class, mm -hmm. and he wasn't lazy. He actually ended up publishing his material um, after many years. So this is seven volumes, literally, and this was based, and based on actual cases. Right. It's all, nothing's hypothetical. These are right. all letters, right. questions that the, that the rabbi received from doctors, because they're right. all signed with the date. Yeah. So clearly doctors in Israel are asking these questions and getting answers. When are we getting the translation? What's the name? Did one volume? He took some of the good yeah. parts. You know, there's a there's a corollary which, to this case. By the way, he told me Steinberg told me he didn't want to agree. He said he doesn't read English. He doesn't understand English. So he said, "You're going to translate my book. How do I know? Right. I, don't, I don't want you translating." So it was a whole bit to do about. <laughs> there's a parallel thing to this. I mean, you remember recently the mayor of Jerusalem said people should start carrying guns. Mm -hmm. So I mean. I mean, I don't know what the halach of that is, but if you have terrorists and you're, and the mayor of Jerusalem saying, arm yourself, 
obviously with the intent, if you see something like this, kill them or shoot them, disable them. I, mean, I don't know if that's halakhically right or not. I kind of wondered about when he said that. I mean, obviously you have a right to defend yourself, but to say, oh, let's arm the community, and so when you see some suspicious Arab in particular, yes, you'll shoot them. It's working, more or less, except for the two Jews who were killed, but saying but this, a concept to, But this addressed the point of your average guy is inclined to run away, and these circumstances, I think they'd be a little less inclined to run away. If you go out there with a gun, mm-hmm. Second thing is, I remember that thing with the machete. He went to a, a, an Orthodox shul. Remember the guy? Oh, no. Yeah. And you knew that somebody. Was a year ago. Was, and one yeah. guy was complaining. Yeah, actually, was, one day I right. left my gun home. He was mm-hmm. saying, I should have brought my gun today. Isn't that. I you remember. Were Probably. So it's always like, Murphy's Law. If I only had my gun today. Or Listen, Earth. even, by the way, even this past week, the city gave out instructions <coughs> for synagogues in Jerusalem. The mayor of the city, with a proof of rabbis, Proved by rabbis about what you should have two people at every door, civilians with guns. Every shul should appoint two people sitting by the door and checking people coming in. They should be armed. Civilians, not. Right, right. When I went to shul in Brussels, just as an aside, in Brussels two years ago, nothing particular. There were two, um, uh, two police. I don't think they were uh, rent a cops. But uh, to armed police. When I went to Shul Vienna, the they had yeah, pol- yeah. Austrian police, All the European they had Austrian soldiers, and then inside that Israel security. Uh, uh, we're going to say at Fort Hood, this came up at Fort Hood and elsewhere, where the terrorists have guns and the soldiers aren't allowed to carry guns yeah. on military bases in the United States. So they're like yeah, in Ankara, by the way, the Shul in, in Turkey. You can't come in unless you have prior reservations. They won't let, if you just mm-hmm. show up at school, you can't get, you have right. to call. I've had that in many schools. you got <laughs> to talk, you gotta like talk your way in. <laughs> anyway, okay, so, so we, we, let's, we got we to gotta get to the answer. I thought we let's got the, the answer. Question. No, that's Rebel Yasha's answer. Um, the question is where, what's the sources, how does he know this? So he says, um, therefore, the Rebel Yasha finishes, um, he says, we're in the third paragraph on the page, therefore, we need to leave the double doubt, so to speak. That's a Talmudic <laughs> language. Many doubts. Once you have more than one doubt, in halach, there's a halachic concept known as sveksveka. So uh, whenever you have double, more than one doubt, we're always going to permit it when it comes, let's say, to something's not kosher. First of all, there's two reasons to say this is you know, that may it might be kosher, like so then you're going to permit it. Talmudic principle called Sveks Veka. Yeah. So he says, you should leave the Sveks Veka Shalat Salat Rabim of saving the many and, and be, involve yourself in saving the individual, the one individual that's found in front of us. That's the words that I heard from to this end quote from my father-in-law. Now he continues on his own. So he says, now he found this fascinating tshuva, which I was telling Ron this morning, I never heard about this whole story in Tanakh. In yeshiva, they don't teach us Tanakh. You start from Talmud. Tanakh Tara. is... Uh, <laughs> uh, Until age 10. Uh, yeah, but I, I never learned... I, really, I learned a few little stories, nothing. So, unfortunately, so he, a, there, he found the responsum from the Mari Ben Lev, who, I don't know when he lived, probably we're talking... Uh, 1500s or something of that sort, because of Zezel Shona, Shela. This is the question that was posed to him in, in the 1100s, or I said 1500s, I don't know exactly when. Ruvain, Hayelo Ava Imasarim. There was a guy who was well connected with the ministers of the government. This is in a foreign country, in some um, Middle Eastern country. The Yoatse Amlachut, and the advisors of the government. The many times they would um, arrest. Rich Jews, and they would assign them to a certain uh, type of slave labor or prison, whatever it is, but you can buy yourself uh, or something of that sort. As, as those kings, kingdoms did. This, this Jew who had connections in the government, he can save this one Jew that was arrested. And uh, and going to be put into slave labor from the government. Um, but he's scared. If he saves this Jew Shimon, they're going to take another Jew instead. We need to have a quota. How many Jews do we do we do we kidnap this week? 
of the government taking, you know, and take their money. So if he say he he has the ability to save him by using his protectia, what we call, in the government. Okay, but he knows by saving this one Jew, just another Jew. Is the implication that one is going to be in prison is when he knows personally, or just he has the power to save a Jew? It sounds like the, it's not clear. I would assume okay. that this guy asked him to help him, mm-hmm. family. Man so the dam of the Shimon Sumitfei. Do we say the blood of Shimon is more is better than the blood of Levi? Dilma dam of the Levi Sumitfei. Maybe Levi's life, Levi's blood is redder. And therefore, he came to the rabbi and asked him, "Does he? Is it permitted for him to save this one Jew, and then placing the next the next Jew's life in, in danger at risk by at risk by saving this one Jew?" Okay, that was the question posed. So. So basically, so this is what. I, so, so he discusses fascinating case. So in his answer, and this is written in the 1500s, he brings a fascinating story which has never been. Just people who are dying, and he has no, to choose one. No, no. There's one person who was arrested by the government. No. He's going to be put, sent to Siberia, wherever it is, and and prob- probably maybe lose his life. The question is, he has the ability to save him, but if he gets rid, of, if he saves this one Jew, they're just going to take another Jew in his stead. So uh, the question is, by saving, does he gain? Is should is he permitted? So he brings this story. So there's a fascinating story in Samuel. Uh, where is it? Ron, you lost my place. Samuel two. Samuel two twenty one. So a fascinating story which I never knew. Knew about a troubling story, as Ron would say. Um, Stories like this, it says, like, I'll just read you the, the verses. It says, in the days of David, there was a famine, there was once a famine for three years, a three-year famine during the rule of King David. Um, year after year, David inquired of Hashem, I'm reading, just reading the translation here in the English, because we're, we're in a rush. Um, and Hashem said, it is for Saul and for the house of blood, for his having killed the Gibbonites. Basically, the, when uh, he inquired of Hashem, which means he went to the prophet, which was Samuel, David went to the prophet of the time, and the prophet said, the reason this famine is happening is because King Saul, who was the preceding king uh, prior to David, um, killed out the city of the Gibbonites. Okay, um, it was the it was a famous story. Let's see if they talk about it here. Twenty-one-one. Um, Saul's family is, is described. This, this is in the commentary. How as the house of blood, because they took part in his campaign against the Gibbonites. Exactly what Saul did is not stated explicitly in scripture. There, um, the sages teach that the Gibbonites were woodchoppers and water drawers from the priestly city of Nob, and they weren't Jewish. And when Saul ordered the massacre of Nob, seven Gibbonites were killed, and the rest were left without a livelihood. Uh, there are different interpretations. That's exactly what Saul did, but he, he at least killed seven of these Gibbonites. Doesn't sound like it's viewed as a good thing. All right. And therefore, the prophet said that's why the famine was occurring. So the king, King David, called the Gibbonites and spoke to them. Uh, the Gibbonites were not the children of Israel. Again, they were non-Jews. Um, he called them, and the children of Israel had sworn not to harm them, but Saul had tried to strike them down in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. David said to the Gibbonites, What can I do for you, and how can I atone for this sin so that you will bless the heritage of Hashem? The Gibbonites replied to him, We have no claim of silver and gold against Saul, nor against his house, and we have no innocent man in Israel to put to death. He then said to them, Whatever you say, I will do for you. They said to the king, The man who annihilated us and who schemed against us that we be eliminated from remaining within the entire border of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be given to us, and we will hang them for the sake of Hashem in the Giva of Saul. King then said, I will give them to you. Okay, so basically he's, they asked for seven descendants of Saul, and they were going to kill them. To save the f- people save. of Israel who were famine. Right. Mm-hmm. So says, um, so, so Saul, and King David said, I'll give them to you. It says, the king had mercy on Mipiboshet, um, son of John, of Yonatan, son of Saul. As we know, Yonatan mm-hmm. was, uh, was a good friend of David. A lover friend. Uh, they had a bromance going on there. Uh, probably more than uh, that. Uh, you've been reading, uh, watching too much uh, late night TV. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, bromance covered. <laughs> Shh, guys. Oh, sorry, so we're going to edit this out. Uh, this will be edited out. Thank you. Um, the... Because the oath of Hashem that was between them, between David and, and Yonatan, son of Shaul. So the king took the two sons of Ritzpah, daughter of, uh, of Aya, whom she bore to Saul, Amorai, Ammonai, and Mipiboshet, and the five sons of Michal, daughter of Shaul, whom she bore to Adriel, son of Barzillai, the, the Mehola, I can't pronounce that word in English, Hamicholati. He delivered them into the hand of Gibbonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before Hashem. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Okay, very nice story. Um, Early is Pesach. 
believe so, yeah. Omer, Omer, yeah. I think so. Um, okay, so, so the Gemara, fascinating Gemara, Gemara addresses this story and discusses how King David was allowed to do this. How could he choose? King Saul had many descendants. How was he able to choose one life over the other? He had to choose seven. What was, uh, how was he allowed to do this? So the Gemara says, So the Gemara says, It's for Hashem, please. The Gemara says like this. It, was, um, it says, Amar David, David, Amar David, show for to as for remedying the sin of of improperly utilizing show nafkalu. Okay, this is the wrong Gemara. So David can choose who to kill. Well, that's but, the question. But we shouldn't. No, that's exactly the Talmud answer mm-hmm. question. How can David choose? Exactly. And it makes question. it sound like David did not choose Jonathan's children because he has right, a, he he had a bromance yeah. going. Stop with the romance. Don't mm-hmm. believe everything you read from Greenberg. No, it doesn't mean it's a physical, <laughs> just they're buddies, you know. Believe Greenberg's uh, stuff. Okay, so he quotes this verse here, and the next verse states, quotes all the verses. So the Gemara says, um, so, David attempted to appease them, but he cannot appease them. Three um, identifying marks of this nation. This is a famous Gemara. Skip this part. Um, so now, what did he do? So it says he chose, like as we read the verses, the Gemara brings the verses, he's chose the son. The Gemara asks, what is unique about these, that David chose these seven men from among Shaul's descendants? Amr Avuna, Avuna said he didn't choose. This is a nice way of describing what he did. It says, He passed them in front of the Holy Ark. Kol Sha'aron, Kol Tolomisa, whoever the ark detained, meaning whoever the ark chose, was condemned to death. Kol Sha'aron, Kol Tolomachayim. You need to tell Muriel the real story. Whoever the ark did not detain was spared for life. Okay? You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethics Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j-ethics.org. Shalom.